All right, good morning. I want to welcome everyone here. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Tim. We are starting a new quarterly today on evangelism and witnessing. Um, but before we start, let's say a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for a beautiful spring Sabbath you've given us, and the opportunity to come together and to get a better picture of your character uh, and what you would have us do to reveal that character. Please continue to mold and shape our uh, lives and characters to that like Christ so that we can be better instruments to witness and evangelize those who are living in darkness. <clears throat> Please send your angels to guide our class today. Please continue to bless uh, our class corporately and individually. I say things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This makes probably the sixth or seventh new quarterly that I've started. I'm, I'm beginning to think that Tim plans these little trips of his on purpose so that uh, I get to start a new quarterly. Uh, I actually want to begin in the introduction. How many of you have a new quarterly? I hope. Okay, let's look at the introduction, page two. Uh, someone read the the a couple three paragraphs starting with why the SDA Church. What is our purpose? to such a question as why does the SDA church uh, why the SDA church what's our purpose what relevance do we have and the answer is simple God raised up his church to proclaim present truth the three angels message of Revelation 14 6 through 12 yes a number of churches exist and many with aggressive outreach and evangelistic programs too but at last count only one church is specifically proclaiming the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, and that church is ours. That's why we're here, period. Thus, whatever else our church is doing, first and foremost, we should, be, we should purposefully attempt to lead as many people as we can into God's eternal kingdom. Whether we call it spreading the gospel, evangelizing the world, or preaching Present truth, our core business is to tell the story, uh, the Jesus story with the intention that people will accept him as Lord and Savior and become disciples and even disciple makers. Although most local churches are involved in many activities and, ideally, all of these activities are good and useful, our challenge must be to make all that we do a uh, as a church relate to the core business of reaching the lost with the everlasting gospel and all that it entails. All right, thank you. Tim and I had some similar questions about this passage, and, and we may not get out of the intro today <laughs> because there's a lot of stuff in these few paragraphs. First of all, I, what is present truth? And can anyone define what present truth is? Specifically for this time. So truth specific for this time. Okay, does um, does our truth differ from the truth that Christ was teaching his disciples? It shouldn't. Uh, we got one. Yes. Could you say that again, what present truth? Because that was one of my questions as I was reading through that. To flesh out a little more about what present truth means. Could you say again? I'm thinking of Daniel, that the Lord, the angel said to Daniel, close up the vision until the end of the time. So 
that vision that was given to Daniel is specifically for our time after 1798. Okay. So present truth might have more to do with uh, our appreciation and our understanding of truth as opposed to truth the truth itself. Is that accurate? I like to think in this way. In heaven, Satan rebelled against God. And according to Isaiah 14, he said in his heart, I'll put my throne above the Most High. If God would expose Satan then, he would have denied it and made God look like a liar. So therefore, God was ob obliged to give Satan an opportunity to demonstrate what was in his heart. And that's what he did during the Dark Ages for, for 1260 years. He used the papacy in order to assume power to forgive sin and so forth, which came to an end in 1798. So therefore, the time of the end started in 1798. Then all the demonstration was made that uh, God not, could not reveal in the beginning. So now that all was revealed by Satan himself, now the universe would understand why Satan is condemned. I agree with your history there. I, I have to think, however, that Satan revealed his character to the, the... The universe was set on his character when he put Son of God to death, when he inspired evil men to murder Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary 2,000-some years ago. And all, all the intelligent beings, except for those on this planet, were convinced... They revealed God's character, it revealed Jesus Christ's character, and it revealed Satan's character. That one scene. In Desire of Ages, Ellen White writes, even then Satan was not destroyed because more needed it to be revealed to the angels as well as to men. Okay, well, that's fair. I think, however, that man, mankind is the one that needed the revelations more, far more than the angels did. Now, the angels... Sympathies were set. They 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 knew they knew that they knew that if Satan would um, go so far as to murder Son of God and God Himself, then he he was no he was no uh, he was no there was no place for any sympathy for Lucifer in their hearts. That's correct. That's um, chapter seventy nine. Okay. Uh, any other thoughts on present truth? I understand what he's saying, and that that makes a lot of sense. However, in seventeen ninety eight. We didn't have some of the understanding of, of the Bible that we have now. I've always had the concept, I guess, maybe from Adventism, my, my growing up in Adventism. Yeah, our filter. That, mm -hmm. that present truth was a developing concept. That's correct. And that that would continue to develop mm -hmm. rather but, than being a set present truth. Here again, my question is, is the truth itself developing or is our understanding of the truth developing? That is correct. That's true. The second one. Okay, well, when Christ said to his disciples, there's much more that I have to tell you, but you can't endure it. You can't handle it right now. Right. It's, not because, it's not because Christ was hoping to, you know, we wanted to withhold some secrets and, and gin up some interest in, in what he had to do or what he had to say. If he'd revealed, if he'd revealed these truths to uh, his disciples, it would have gone over their heads or through their heads, or, or worse, yeah. So as we 
investigate evangelism and witnessing, et cetera, et cetera, uh, I think it's important to understand what this concept of present truth. For every individual in here, truth is different. Because we all have a different understanding of truth. Perception of truth is different. Um, yeah. Correct. The truth is not different, but our understanding, our our maturity, our capability to uh, receive it and, and give this truth are different because we're, we're at different stages uh, along along this pathway. Present truth static, or can we uh, understand um, truth? in a progressive term, uh, mode. It uh, seems to me that um, evangelism, as I have heard, uh, is, is a lot different now than it was 50 years ago, the way it's presented. <clears throat> does, does present truth change? Can, it, can, it, can that word present uh, being the same thing to Mrs. White as it does to us. Well, I think the adjective present uh, is what gives that away. Now, present truth for 150 years ago was truth 150 years ago. That's still truth today, but our understanding of that truth hopefully has broadened, and hopefully there's more light that's been shed on that truth. If If we're... If the spirit of God is the spirit of love, spirit of truth, which Scripture says it is, we're dealing with an infinite quantity. And, and we as finite beings will hopefully always continue to be discovering present truth, even after we're in heaven. We, we won't have, a, we won't have a, uh, a grasp of all the truth. We won't have a concept of all of God's love. We will be continually learning. We'll be continually learning new truth. Uh, I saw two hands. First. Okay. The Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So am I free at, at the part of the truth that I understand? Or will I be truly free when I understand all truth? Okay, well, let's talk about what truth that that, that is uh, referring to. Christ said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He He was speaking to... Uh, group at that time and to future generations. Well, what what truth was he referring to? Truth about God and his character. The Pharisees had a concept of God that was incorrect. So they were not free. Correct. They they were enslaved by their God concept. We, we still see that today. We still see you know, Christianity uh, and other other religions, and slavery because of a, a false God concept. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he was referring to himself. Correct. Yes. I was just going to say to me, the, the, the truth is vibrant. It is alive and it is life-giving. That doesn't change. Our understanding is what's dynamic. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I agree. Please. Well, I was going to say what she said... Um, Jesus said he was the truth, but they didn't accept Jesus as the truth. They had their own truth, and sometimes we have our own truth in this day and age, which isn't always the truth. <laughs> right. I mean, his disciple, I mean, he told him plainly, the, you know, the Son of God must die, and, and he will be raised, I'll raise myself up again in three days. 
I mean, to my mind, I don't know how much more plain you can get than that. But they, they, they even his disciples had false god concepts. They, they saw the Messiah as uh, coming to liberate them from the yoke of Roman oppression. We tend to um, defend and protect our truth, whatever that truth is. We're very threatened by anybody who questions our truth. That's right. And should we be? That's another question I've got. Yes. I can only speak from my own experience, but I think in that phrase, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. There's two concepts to understand, truth and freedom. And from my own personal experience, particularly in the last few years studying in the Sabbath school class, the more truth I've understood, and that has been a progressive trip, the more freedom I've experienced. So freedom isn't a static thing either, I, I, from my experience. Hmm. Well said. Yes. For me, the word present truth means more culturally relevant. You know, truth for a particular time. And I don't know if that's what we're discussing here or not, but to me that's what present truth means. Truth for now. Uh, truth that might not have been accepted or recognized back then, it's relevant now for the cultural changes and evolutions that we're experiencing in culture, I think. Yeah, I agree. My question was, does that, does that mean that this truth didn't exist oh, no, 2,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago? It might not have been accepted. It might not have been uncovered. Right. Look at the progress of science. I mean, we, what was it, 500 years ago, um, everyone swore that the earth was flat. That was truth. That was their present truth. Was it truth? No. It was not truth. That was their concept of truth. Tim. I was just going to say, it's, um, since we're saying like truth applies to a, a particular time or a particular culture, then is it, is it the truth itself that changes for the people, or is it just the way it's presented? Is it packaged in a way for that time period, for those people, for that culture? Another great insight. All right. Um, the lesson refers to, let's see, blah, blah, blah. Our, ch- our church exists to proclaim the present truth and the three angels' message of Revelation 14, 6 through 12. This is, the re- this is the three angels' message. And I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. To every nation, tribe, language, and people, he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him the glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the seven heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Verse 8. And the second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink of the maddening wine of her adulteries. Verse 9. The third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There'll be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. What's the tenor of this message when you, when you hear it? Okay. A warning, a call to awakening. All right. Anything else? First, it sounds very harsh. 
when you, at first reading, you think a God who is going to punish people and zap them, and it, mm-hmm. it, it, that's the way it sounds. No, I agree. A light it, it it does not inspire peace, or it did not inspire peace in my heart when I first read it. Back when I was in academy or elementary school, it inspired terror. It's scary. What should it inspire? Hope. Hope. Well said. Why should this inspire hope? Christ is returning. There's going to be an end to all this suffering. There will be an end to our... In in the last one, it sounds like that's the most scary to me, where it... You'll burn forever. Smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There'll be no rest day or night for but those like who... But like she said, it's a warning that, that this is the earth is going to be destroyed, sin is going to be destroyed, and if we don't want to be destroyed with it, we'd better change our ways. <laughs> but, even as a, but even as a warning, it makes God sound fearful, and I don't want to go to heaven with a God and live forever that's going to look down on people... And let them burn forever and ever in the smoke of the I agree. To me. I agree. You know, so it has to be more than this. It has to be more than a warning of fear to get your life in order. Or else you're going to burn forever. Right. How does our Adventist Church present this message? Various ways. <laughs> you, how many of you remember the first evangelistic series you ever went to? I do. I was 11, 12. It was at the Tivoli. There, there were slides of uh you know angry beasts with huge teeth and and you know smoke coming out their nostrils and and um you better get right with god or the thing's going to eat you (laughs) i mean seriously and it was an adventist it was an adventist evangelistic series i thought really now what? what what about this jesus guy that everyone's talking about he's supposed to be his life didn't uh I don't remember any beasts. I don't remember him talking about any beasts. Yes? You'll notice in the text it doesn't say they burn forever and ever. It says the smoke of their torment. I, yeah, I, I agree. Well, what, do, what do we think that means? Where does the smoke come from? From the burning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I see the symbolism. This may be obvious to everybody, but I see the symbolism... First of all, we assume the torment's coming from God. The torment comes from themselves because they've chosen, you know, something less than truth. And I see the smoke rising forever and ever as being our, you know, we're never going to forget the experience that we had here on earth. The whole universe sees what happened when we abandoned God's law of love. Well said. We take a, a, a book of the Bible, Revelations, which is highly symbolic, you know, almost entirely symbolic. And we uh, attach literal parts to the parts that we, that we want to based on a, a certain God concept that we may have. Uh, and this is one of the passages that we attach literally. Well, oh, they're smoking. That must be burning forever. I am of the same opinion as you are. I think the smoke is, is, uh, is symbolic of our memory, uh, not only of our experience here on earth, but of... Our loved ones experience who didn't make it, who who we see it you know, tormenting themselves because they they come to a full realization of their character and of and their how wrong they were about God's character, 
and the memory of that uh, we will carry with us forever. That's what will keep sin from rising again. You have to go elsewhere in the Bible to understand the symbols they're talking about right. the wrath of God and the forever. Absolutely. Right? You know, the incense, you incense and smoke itself. in the sanctuary service were representative of the thoughts, the prayers, the wishes uh, of the congregation. Yes. We need not then spend time on fire and brimstone if we remember what the angel said to Daniel. May I read it to you? Yes. That's Daniel 7. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume, consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and the, all the dominions shall serve and obey him. That's the message of hope. That is the, the judgment that will that is taking place right now. That is the judgment of Daniel, of Revelation 14. But Revelation 14 says, "Give glory to God, because His judgment is come. God is vindicated against Satan's lies and accusations. Uh, so He's condemned because of His lies and accusations, and God's people are vindicated that they are saved because of the righteousness of Christ." So you're saying instead of God doing the judging, he's being the one that is judged? Yes, in a way, God is being judged by the universe as who is speaking the truth. Right, about whether whether or not... His character, about his government. I couldn't... The whole great controversy. I agree. Yes, sir. Your question early on was about truth and present truth. Mm -hmm. This whole discussion to me is just an example of it. When you were... At your first evangelistic series, I suspect the person talking to you was very convicted that that was present truth and would have said, this is why this church was raised up. We don't come, we didn't get created as a denomination politically or nationalistically as so many others did, for example. We came, as I understand it, because of a message. And back in the day, this was an understanding. And yet, this is simply to me evidence of falsehoods, deceptions, falling away so that we can more clearly see the truth that has always been okay, well, in present, context. Present truth for me has changed. Uh, I went to an evangelistic series four or five years ago at the convention center, and it was virtually the same message. Same denomination, same message. So <clears throat> has present truth changed for our for our evangelistic series, it's changed for me. Praise heaven! Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. My next question is, how do we how do we affect a change uh, in the denomination and in the bigger sense? How do we affect a change in Christianity? That's rhetorical. <laughs> Okay, uh, again. One person at a time. Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. We're, we're going to get to that, I think, <laughs> if we can get out of the introduction. Let's see. Thus, whatever our church is doing, first and foremost, we purposefully lead as many people as we can to God's eternal kingdom. What is God's eternal kingdom? Oneness with him. It says the kingdom of God will actually be, occur here and begin here. Mm-hmm. And I think it's bringing us back into oneness with God again. Amen. Okay. I think that's well said. 
Any other insights to what God's kingdom is? Its foundation is love. It's a kingdom built on love. Is it uh, different from earthly kingdoms? Yeah. Yeah. Dean? I think God's kingdom is composed of all those that are, are operating within the law of love. So this kingdom has a law. Really? Hmm, interesting. Yes? I think God's kingdom is reality. Okay, I'll follow you. So many on earth are living in a suspended reality or a false reality. And, and a false perception the, of reality. Right. So God's kingdom is a, is a true the, the rest of the universe is operating in, quote, reality. And there's only one. In harmony. With, okay, yeah, I, I like that. Yes, sir? I see it as a never-ending, trusting relationship with our, with our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus. Is this a kingdom where we will all be standing on the walls of the Holy City, um, cheering while our friends and loved ones are tormented in sulfur forever and ever? Or is this a kingdom where we would trade places with our loved ones and exclude our names from the books of life in order that they may experience the knowledge uh, that we have about God's law and God's kingdom? Yeah, there's, there's no shortage of no shortage of um, evangelists that would have us believe that we'll be cheering on the walls of the holy city while we watch our loved ones in torment, whether it's forever and ever or whether it's they're being cooked as long as they deserve. Yeah, in the back. Um, greater love has no one that he laid down his life for his friends. So if it's a kingdom founded on love, then we can safely make the assumption that we would sacrifice ourselves. Well said. Thank you. Yes. And if we take that to present truth, today, if I understand that God's reality, that forever and ever we would be with him in paradise, and that the risk of losing that opportunity and being eliminated forever and ever if I care about those not just within my immediate family, but my neighbors, but my town, and my state, and my country. And your enemies. And my enemies. Am I willing to leave my paradise that might be an evening at home, sitting comfortably, watching television, and going out and witnessing, or call portering, or doing a Bible study, or helping someone in need? You know, that's, we're walking into that, that, uh, dysfunctional perception that is where sin has caught us, mm -hmm. and we're, we're liberating just like Jesus did. Thank you. Uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, the introduction also talks about our presentation of the Jesus story and the everlasting gospel. What, what is our understanding of the, quote, Jesus story? He came to reveal the Father. Okay, he came to reveal the Father's character. That, that's, that was one of, his, um, one of his purposes here. Was that the only one? Came to save us. Came to recreate the character that we need. Okay, so not only did he come to reveal the Father's character and his own character, 
he came to secure somehow uh, secure the uh, the means to transform our characters and bring us back into harmony with quote God's law and the uh, the way the universe was designed to operate. Yes. After John the Baptist's father regained his ability to speak and hear again, he said, his father Zechariah, who was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Mm-hmm. Luke 1. Okay, thank you. So he came to eliminate fear from the equation, among other things. Why else did he come? Yes. Well, I, I think the serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness is a real good example of what Jesus does. He reveals himself to us, and so then we desire him so much that we want to be like him. And so he's revealing his love to us so that we will want the pearl of great price and be like him. <clears throat> yes. I think he also came to show us how to connect to a source of power to be able to live in this sinful world and survive spiritually. You know, that there, he, he continually, even though he was divine, he still connected daily the source of God, you know, to God. And I think he came to show us how to do that. Okay. Uh, what, el- what else part of the, what's another part of the Jesus story? Well, I've got a, I've got a verse here, 1 John 3, 8. It says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, so he came to destroy the work of the devil. What What's the devil's work? To tell lies about God, to misrepresent the character of God. I think to set us free from fear. One of my great needs is peace. And Jesus came to offer forgiveness, which gives me peace. Okay. And rest, which is another like it. In fact, in the three angels' messages you were quoting earlier, it refers to the God of creation, which if you look at the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment talks about the God of creation and the rest that he gives us. And then the third angel's message talks about resting. And then the punishment aspect is the lack of rest. In the third angel's message, there is no rest Mm -hmm. for the wicked. Okay. Scripture tells us, it gives us three three purposes of 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 uh, Christ's coming. It was to destroy death, not not the the sleep that you and I know as death, but an eternal non-existence death. To destroy him who holds the power of death, which is the devil. What is the devil's power of death? Deception. Deception. Yeah. Deceiving us into letting go of life. Christ said that this is life eternal, that you know the only true God in him whom thou hast sent, Jesus Christ. So if knowing God, you know, it's a simple geometry. If knowing God is eternal life, then eternal death must be 
not knowing God or knowing a false God. So he came to destroy death, him who holds the power of death, and was said earlier, he came to destroy the devil's work. Okay, the devil's work has been all of the misrepresentations about God's character, all the lies that we have believed. He came to, to, to destroy all that work. The first thing Adam and Eve did was to run and hide from God. That's what sin does. It separates us. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came to bring us back together in, in union with God. Initiate, yeah, initiates a fear response. Fear leads, leads to self-preservation. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at Sabbath lesson. The memory text, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. I looked up a definition of disciple. Um, some interesting uh, insights. Uh, from a religion perspective, it's, it's A, one of the 12 personal followers of Christ, B, one of the 70 followers sent forth by Christ in Luke 10, See any professed follower of Christ in his lifetime, uh, any follower of Christ. Um, the uh, disciple, a capital letter, is a member of the Disciples of Christ. I don't know if that's a denomination or what. Uh, or a person who's a pupil or an adherent of the doctors of an- doctrines of another, a follower, for example, a disciple of Freud. Its word origin is from the Latin disciplus, which means pupil, uh, and that's from decipher, D-I-S-C-I-P-E-R-E, which means to grasp intellectually or to analyze thoroughly. thought that was interesting. Or from dis, which is a uh, suffix meaning apart, and caper, to take, to take apart or even to set apart. Any, any bells ringing here? <clears throat> you have been set apart. Our church has been set apart. So this this idea that uh, we are to grasp intellectually or analyze thoroughly uh, the the life of Christ, the teachings of Christ, I think is very interesting. It's it, it seems to transcend a um, an emotional experience that some would have us believe it's all about. It's all about wonderful feelings and and. Um, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I don't deny that those occur, but I think they are the icing on the cake, not the cake itself. Uh, Sunday's lesson. Sunday's lesson. Uh, again, we're talking about the everlasting gospel. What, what, do, what, do, what do we think presents a better telling of the everlasting gospel? Uh, a personal testimony of our own transformation of character, or uh, charts showing prophecies and beasts and Etc. Etc. Or might they be linked? Might there be a relationship between? Beg your pardon. All of the above. <laughs> you said all of the above. Different ways appeal to different people. Also, some people are because not. we all have different present truths. No, we no. just well. We I, just understand I, things I think. Differently. Well, okay. I, I think that's a, a different different way of saying we all have a different present truth because we're. We're different points along the truth pathway. 
which is a better way of of presenting the everlasting gospel uh, a a personal telling of of our own uh conversion and transformation experience or charts showing uh prophetic dates and times and 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 beasts or are they linked please when you say a conversion experience, uh, we can't point to ourselves because even though we know the truth, we don't always live the truth. So the only place we can point to is Jesus, is the only truth there is. So if, if as soon as we focus on what humans are doing, then we lose it because we're we're often misjudged or we misrepresent Jesus. Or so the only real image or real way to see Jesus, or the truth is to see Jesus. Uh, that's correct. Uh, however, I think it's invaluable to relate his image to, to, uh, our, to our own lives, to, to, to a change that's occurred in us. Uh, take, you know, most of our, the vast majority of our conversion experiences are not as dramatic as Saul of Tarsus. Eight. Go ahead. In Signs of the Times of 1891, she makes this statement, Ellen White, your example in living for Christ, in showing that you have the mind of Christ, will be far more impressive than any words you may utter, any profession you may make. Correct. And what has to come first in that? We, we have to, we have to be converted. We have to be uh, in that process or through that process. Yes, sir. It's about evangelism and witnessing. Are they synonymous or is there a difference? Right, that's uh, another good question that I had when, written down. When you're evangelizing a group of people who are not Seventh Day Adventists, so who are, you know, whatever we don't know. We advertise and we get a bunch of people in. And, and um, for a number of years we lived in the country of Rhodesia over in Africa. Tons of, tons of people over there, and the competition for souls was enormous. We weren't the only ones there. The Catholics were, had a, a, a terrific presence. The Baptists had a great presence. Church of God. The, it, it was, you know... So how do you how do you get into this evangelize this group? We we talk about evangelism. We I tend to think of we got a preacher up there. We spread a lot of uh, information. Get the people in. We'll tell them all about our our, our uh, the love that God has for us and 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 the truth, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And uh, we find out that the first meetings held seven or eight thousand people. After six weeks, we were lucky to get 30. Same message. What happened? And it happens not, that's not the first time nor the last time right. it happened. Uh, and so this is public evangelism. And yet then we have colleges and high schools. Um, you know, and I, I think of Seleucy, where education is very important. It seems to me that education perhaps is our most important way to evangelize people because we have contact with them more than once a week. We're there all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, evangelism means different things to different people. 
I agree. To a to a physician, evangelism may mean healing someone from a disease and presenting to this person the laws of health. To um, a business person, it may mean something different. Um, my other rhetorical, I'll get your hands in just a second. My other rhetorical, uh, rhetorical question was, might a correct understanding of the law of God change the methods that we evangelize with? If we're, if we're presenting, we're presenting a, uh, a law of God that is uh, an imposed law, one that must uh, uh, meet out penalties for violations of said law, as opposed to presenting a law that uh, is a law of natural consequences, and being uh, being out of harmony with that law is is going to lead to dysfunction, illness, death, etc. My getting people to understand, getting people to understand a, a correct concept of God's law, and us having a correct concept of God's law, change our evangelistic approach. In the back, I think that there's a difference in evangelism between being convinced and being convicted. I think that sometimes we have all the information, and perhaps cognitively we know that it may be the truth, but we're not convicted by the Holy Spirit or convicted by the lives of people around us enough to make a real change. And that's where I think personal contact and, you know, uh, vibrant friendships with non-Adventists or non-Christians can really make the difference. Mm. Thank you. Even if there are different types of evangelistic approaches, there still has to be a common denominator. Mm -hmm. If, if in fact, these are presenting truth. I mean, we know that God meets us meets people where they are, and sometimes uh, that's got something to do with the idea of present truth, of where what they're ready for, and we've already spoken of that. But um, if, if it doesn't have that core to it at all, then it's not truth at all. It's, it's just a counterfeit. And mm. so, so there, there has to be that that common denominator of of God and his love in whatever form if it's that we've you know the different things we've spoken about and it can it can be in a presentation that is more the traditional version but if if those pictures and symbols and explanations of prophecies don't lead us to the knowledge of God and who he is then it's not really promoting truth oh i agree and and I don't. I don't want anyone to take away from here that I, I don't appreciate the gift of prophetic scripture. It's it, frankly, it's one of the foundations that leads me to um, a trust in holy scripture. As you can look back through history and and see, well, there, there, they are. There are the there are the earthly kingdoms, and and now we've passed every one of them, and we're living down the toenails of the of the uh, Babylonian image. It's. It's it's one of the things that that inspires trust uh, in in holy writ. So I I, I have no issues at all with um, you know, a presentation of charts and prophecies. I think they're great. But like you said, if it doesn't lead us to a picture of a loving God who's interested in the welfare of his children and wants to spend eternity with as many of them as he can, it's a waste of time. Yes. 
Tim. It seems to me that if, <clears throat> if there was a fundamental change in the way that the law was understood, then at least one of the cha fundamental changes in an evangelistic approach would be a lot less threats, um, a lot less doom and gloom about what your destination is and condemning your current state of being because you're headed here. Uh, because if it's, if it's not imposed, then we don't have to impose threats. Mm -hmm. Just a second. I've got, I've got a, a, a show of hands here. We'll start back there. A little bit in defense of public evangelism. You know, even Christ's ministry, you know, thousands flocked. But when the truth became cutting truth, the numbers left him. Mm -hmm. Okay? And we know that, you know, it's going to be a few who are saved, not, you know, the mass majority. So I don't think we need to be discouraged because of the shrinking. You know, the faithful will, you know, truth divides. Oh, I, I think that's a great point. And, you know, we... We are under the understanding that uh, Christ would have come to earth and dealt with all that he dealt with and been hung on a cross for, for one of us, just one. So, And that's, that's something I, I think that we need to keep in perspective when we're doing our personal and public evangelism and witnessing, is that I, I personally don't have an adequate grasp of the value of one human soul. Uh, and Christ did, and that's why he came and did what he did. Uh, and I think we, as we progress in our transformation, as we progress in our conversion, we, we become a little more in tune with the value of, of one human soul. Tina. I was going to say, we may not all be evangelists, but we certainly are all witnesses. Because people watch every day what we speak, how we act, how we treat our fellow man. All that is a greater witness than any evangelist if we all did that in our work, in our home every day. Uh, well said. Yes. I think what you said before about trust is the really the basis of all public evangelism is the the group or person evangelizing wants to build a foundation of trust. Trust in something. And I think that um, whether it's Christian or whether it's non-Christian, they evangelize and evangelize based on trust. And so to build a foundation, you can trust God because of evidence. And giving the evidence of trusting God then can lead to all the, the, the truth that you want to reveal. But that basis of, uh, of trust. And then in personal witnessing, it's the, it holds true for that too. If someone doesn't trust you, how can they trust the God that you believe in? Thank you. Well said. Uh, I want to read some quotes uh, from uh, Sister White. This is from Special Testimonies, number 7, page 1718. The light concerning the binding claims of the law of God is to be presented everywhere. This is to be a deciding question. It will test and prove the world. Does this read any differently if we say the light concerning the binding claims of the law of respiration is to be presented everywhere? It's to be the deciding question. This will test and prove the world. Do we hear those two any differently? And you could say the warning part of evangelism is warning what happens when you stop breathing. 
Yeah, I agree. Five years ago, I would have heard these two statements differently. The light concerning the law of God, the binding claims of the law of God is to be presented everywhere. I had a false concept of the law of God. Again, just looking at it from my own personal perspective, one of the things, having been born and raised an Adventist, that I guess maybe was always a little bit frustrating to me, only subconsciously frustrating to me, was the fact that all through the New Testament you hear the concept of the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And personally, I knew the Adventist message. I could defend the Sabbath or the state of the dead or whatever that was. But I had never felt a power in my life until I saw more of the true nature of God's character. Not that I understand it fully, Mm -hmm. but as I understood more of the true nature of God's character and that God was just trying, like she said, to tell me the way things are, not to frighten me or bully me Mm -hmm. into a certain type of behavior, but to tell me the way things are and to reveal to me through evidence that the way things are is actually perfect. Mm. Then that good news became incredibly powerful in my life, day and night. Right, and like you said earlier, it it is increasing a power, increasing your freedom, increasing (coughs) your love for God and for others. Uh, Another uh, quote from the Review and Herald, uh, September of 1906, Christ presented the principles of God's law, of the law of God, in a direct, forcible way, showing his hearers that they had neglected to carry out these principles. His words were so definite and pointed that the listeners found no opportunity to cavail or raise objections. And this is from a letter 48, 1902. If your way of presenting the truth is God's way, your audience will be deeply impressed with the truth you present. Conviction will come to them that this is the word of the living God and you will accomplish the will of God in power. Those of you who are married or who have ever been in a dating relationship, have you ever heard this? It wasn't what you said, it was how you said it. <laughs> that angered, offended, uh, hurt me. Am I the only one that's heard that? <laughs> so our manner of presentation... So not only do we need to have a fundamental understanding of what we are presenting, but we need to present it in a manner that is appealing and not uh, going to um, cause barriers to be thrown up to the message that we're presenting. Yeah. Well, I think you said something a while ago, too, that you said you've never been able to fully appreciate the value of one living soul. And I agree with that when we look at the population in mass. But when I look at my son or my daughter, I have a deep appreciation for the value of a soul. I mean, an, a breathtaking appreciation. And I think we need to ask God to give us that same intensity. Because I think we can have it. We can see the world differently than we do. Right. Uh, thank, thank you. That's right. Now I have no children and, and probably never will, so I don't know that um, you know I will ever be able to appreciate on your level that that sort of uh, maternal value. 
Okay, it's just it just is what it is. Um, as a parent, in addition to that, you value the soul. But how many times as a parent have you loved and and given that kind of love and support to a child? And how many times have you warned and you know uh, punished when they were starting to drift off? Discipline, yeah, that's a better word. <laughs> Don't use a P word. <laughs> However they perceived it, yeah, that was sort of a, a negative thing for them to hear. But as a parent, you valued them so much you were willing to put the negative on them so that they could understand and appreciate that they were going in totally wrong direction that was going to hurt themselves or others. And how many of us value our enemies that much? Yes, sir. Ministry Magazine had a, an article a few months ago, as quoted by Pastor Arnold here about a month, saying that we're about 1.2 million members in North America for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Had, however, we kept our <coughs> biological growth only, we would have been about 8 million members. <laughs> That's nice. The problem is that we go, we put a lot of effort and a lot of money in all our evangelistic series and efforts and all that. However, we are keeping the back door open and everybody that comes in may be convinced of the or they may learn mentally the truth, but they're not converted and they don't love Christ and they don't stay in the church because of that. That was the gist of the article. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things, the solutions, I guess, that the article was mentioning is parents or the home needs to, evangelism starts at home. And we need to be a more proactive in our daily worship and teaching our children the proper way, I mean, to learn to love God for, for real, to accept Christ as a Savior, to let Christ transform our hearts. All the other doctrinal knowledge will come as time goes, as they mature, as they stay in the church. But that should not be our primary interest. Our interest is, is to have people learn to accept Christ for real. And that way they would stay in the church and continue on. Seems like we do things backwards a lot of times. I, I agree. Thank you. Might it be that they're convincing people of 28 doctrines instead of leading people to an actual individual who changes because the 28 doctrines don't internally change us. They intellectually, you know, mm -hmm. are factual or whatever. But if it doesn't end in Christ... And then there's nothing that can come inside us and change it. I want to finish with a quote uh, from one of the founders of our denomination about the founder of our church. Christ seldom attempted to prove that truth is truth. He illustrated truth in all its bearings and then left his hearers free to accept or reject it as they might choose. He did not force anyone to believe. And the Sermon on the Mount, he instructed the people in a practical godliness, distinctly outlining their duty. He spoke in such a manner as to commend truth to the conscience. The power manifested by the disciples was, was revealed in the clearness and earnestness with which they expressed the truth. It's from Evangelism, Evangelism, page 171. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to ask that you make each of us better uh, witnesses and evangelists for the truth about you, the truth about your law, the truth about the love that you showed our earth in sending your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Have a good weekend.